residing deep within Happy Valley in central Pennsylvania. Here is your host, Michael Lanik. Fanables, we're back for another episode of the Hungry for Hannibal podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lanik, and with me is Sarah. Hey, Fanables. Uh, so this week we are bringing you the, uh, what's the eighth or ninth? Ninth. Am I correct with that? Ninth episode? <laughs> yes. I wrote yes. down the name. I just didn't write yes. down the number. <laughs> yes, it is correct. The ninth episode. Um, we're so well prepared as usual. Um, uh, the ninth episode of the first season of Hannibal. And this is uh, Trau Normand. Normand? Yeah, Trunamand, the Norman Hole, a brandy often accompanied by sorbet. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> I certainly learned something today. Um, so this episode is kind of setting up the back half of this, you know, first season. Because um, now we're getting down to, to the final episodes. Uh, of the first season and, and a lot happens and so and I think in this episode we get to see Hannibal really begin to I guess do more of his manipulating he's really beginning to to set things in motion oh yeah he's putting all his pieces into place and gets to get ready for his check yeah, he's like the master chess player. I mean, oh, he really yes. is. Um, it's like there are dozens of threads, and most people would look at those dozens of threads and get confused, and he sees them as a beautiful tapestry. And he's the one spinning the, the, the wheel and putting it all together, and he has no problem you know, twisting one, moving this way and this way, and just kind of doing what he wants. Um, and nobody realizes, yeah, of course. Yeah, weaving a beautiful web. Yes, it is. And um, it's a great episode. What did you think? It is great. We were, um, we'd been talking a little bit before this that, you know, this episode, yeah, thinking about it before I watched it again, I you know, had thought it was one of the weaker episodes. But as I watched it over again, it's just... I think I was completely wrong that it's actually one of the strongest episodes of the season. Well, as we were talking before we started recording, uh, the totem pole um, killer. <laughs> uh, Bishop from Aliens. Ah. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's not really an important, you know, aspect of the episode. It it's definitely, as we said, the B plot here. Uh, there's far more important stuff going on. Um, I could almost say that if they had cut that out completely, I don't know if I would have been all that sad about it. Now, that being said, I liked it. I thought it was grotesque and creepy, and I thought that Lance Henriksen as the killer was an inspired move. A plus, by the way, um, casting there um, as the killer. But and there was some, you know, real tragic tragedy stuff going on there, which we'll uh, we'll get to in due time. 
but I, I mean, I just, I didn't see it as like, wow, you know, that's such an integral aspect of this episode. There was some tie-in with families and, uh, you know, what, what was most important in your life, uh, and legacy, things like that. Uh, they do tie in to some of the other aspects of the episode, but not so much that I felt like, wow, you know, this was such an integral part of the, part of the show. Yeah, I completely agree, and um, I absolutely just love the stuff about Abigail. It's so richer and more, it's making the other plot, the killer of the week, just completely get forgotten. They could have completely just forgotten it, and the episode would still be strong and stand on its own. Well, you know, it's the first season, and so the whole procedural aspect of, of the uh, the show was still kind of being important you know they, I think they had to agree initially to do a procedural kind of show to get the network on board you know because that's something that people are familiar with but yeah. of course as we know Brian Fuller probably didn't really want to do that as much I think it, it was something he thought was just necessary uh, but as we saw, as the series, or as the season progresses, and certainly as the series progresses, the uh, the kill of the week thing, the procedural stuff, it really begins to fade out. Yes, and which is great for it because it gets even better because you get way more of the story you want to hear. Yeah, but there's there's far more important things going on, and it doesn't get uh, bogged down by this okay someone killed x person and there's this grisly scene and now we have to both solve this dedicate time to all that plus we have to dedicate time to the whole you know hannibal will relationship and all the other relationships that that are tied into the two of them yeah we've got to weave hannibal's world into it we've got to weave all the other storylines into keeping a procedural you know killer of the week type-esque you know, show about this. Yeah. So, uh, it is something that begins to fade. Uh, and if you're just watching, you know, first season, uh, you're probably thinking spoiler. Thank you. Well, you know, it's <laughs> not, it's not that big of a, a spoiler. I mean, I guess it is a spoiler, but you know, I'm not really revealing any plot details. Uh, we're just letting you know that there is going to be less of that as time goes on because there are more important things to, uh, dedicate time to in this show yes and and you should also know that as you know time goes on and they get fewer and fewer the ones you do get to see in the future are even more richer and you know more with more flair about them <laughs> there's more flair and they really tie them into themes and ideas in this both the series and the episode they become very very important and saying something about, say, the relationship between Will and Hannibal, or whatever. You know, so they have a purpose. They're not just, well, we haven't seen anybody killed in a gruesome way in four episodes, <laughs> so let's just come up with some really crazy killer. To, you know, that's not really what they, they do. Um, you already see that, but it becomes um, much more um, obvious in that the kill the the um the killer everything really ties in 
uh, to the themes and ideas and is more of a reflection of what they're talking about in this particular episode as opposed to just being like a shock crazy kill thing yeah but this episode certainly incorporates the shock like this is one of the most gruesome uh elaborate setups of corpses i've ever seen and uh virtually impossible by the way. Yeah, no kidding, especially for a 73-year-old man. Um, I wrote this down. I said uh, that it would have taken superhero-like abilities uh, in order to really do this. This isn't even about being a 73-year-old man. You could be a 23-year-old man. I don't care. That's impossible. There's no way that one person is going to be able to create a totem pole on a beach with with bodies that stack up like what 20 25 30 feet high however you know tall that thing is and without anybody's help um, with rebar in the totem pole and i mean even if you were to lay it on the ground and twist all the bodies around it how are you getting it to stand up that's what i'm saying i mean unless you stuck the rebar the pole into the ground and then climbed up and wrapped all the bodies around one by one but that would take that would take hours and hours and hours i mean that's not the point, obviously. I mean, we're, we're, I guess, reading too much into the plausibility <laughs> in this episode. Um, but it's one thing I had to mention because it's a little crazy, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. I did write that, you know, I think us all fanables contain an understanding that Hannibal is a mythical being that doesn't need sleep and could do something like this, possibly. But knowing it wasn't Hannibal and it was just some other mere mortal, there's just no way someone could have done that overnight. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, come on. I love the totem pole scene, though. I mean, I, yeah, I do love the grotesqueness and everything else about it. It's very macabre, horror-esque, you know, beauty to it. Um, and we had Will kind of do his, his uh, windshield wiper sequence. Uh, he got to go and, and become the killer. Uh, always love that. It's net, I, I'd never. If there's one aspect of the procedural that I like, it's getting to see Will do that. To get in, yes. to see him put himself into the killer. Um, so that is one thing that I do really enjoy. I do wonder if he dismembered the bodies when he killed them, or no, he didn't. So he had to be dismembering those bodies doing this and some of those are pretty well intact especially if you're being 40 years old some of them should be skeletons they'd be pretty darn stinky and like maggoty just mm, too many flaws it, it it well it's it depends on how they were buried it, they could also have been um frozen possibly uh some of them that they were maybe more um better condition you know, we don't know exactly. I don't remember in the episode if they say exactly how the body parts, what condition they were all in. But I felt like there was a lot there that seemed like it was relatively good shape. And I'm wondering if he just kind of, I don't know, froze, the bodies were frozen somewhere. I mean, we don't know. But maybe he, you know, chopped them up, you know, kind of like the Ice Truck Killer and Dexter, you know. Yeah, they're all all the kills were you know quote unquote accidental, ah, you know yeah. for those reasons, and the family got to do whatever with the body. So. I, that's true. That is true. You're right. Um, 
So we get to see Will do that, and that was great. But then Will begins to lose time, doesn't he, in this episode? Oh, yes, quite a few times. Um, this is something that is a recent development. Um, well, actually, no, that isn't a recent development, because he has been, you know, quote-unquote sleepwalking. Um, things like that, where he'll just find himself in weird places. Uh, but this is a little different, because he is suddenly driving three and a half hours from a location, doesn't have any knowledge of it, and is standing literally outside of Hannibal's office when he kind of just comes back to himself and he doesn't know where he's at and what's going on. Yeah, Hannibal's just wrapping up for the night. He didn't have a session with him. Hannibal's just leaving his office and like, hi, I wasn't expecting you. And uh, they have their conversation about, you know, Will's probably, it's probably mental, not physical, that it's in his head that the abuse he's going through and putting himself through, he's making his own barrier for it. I really... Uh, well, I wrote down this because I thought this was great. Hannibal's manipulation of Will is so subtly done. Yeah. And so well done. I mean, he literally is the puppet master. You know, he he's just up there dangling, you know, or Will's dangling, and he's, you know, got the strings on his fingers, and he's just doing what he wants to do. And Will has no, you know... There's nothing that's, no alarm bells are ringing, no spider sense tingling, nothing like that that says, hey, this is weird. Like, he just, get, he's become so moldable by Hannibal, it's weird. Yeah, he's denying you a brain scan, like, go do it yourself. Right. <laughs> and he plants the early seed in Will's mind that if he continues to lose time, that there's the possibility that he could hurt himself or somebody else. It's, uh, it's true, I just, um. I just shake my head and, uh, you know, it, it just happened. You know, you got a guy who you consider a friend, someone that you've in therapy with because he's your, you know, therapist. Um, and it, you, you extend a certain level of trust. So it, it creates a blind spot is what it does. Yeah. And Hannibal telling Will that, you know, you're my friend, Will. I don't care about the other people's lives that you save. I care about your life. And all I picture in my head is Inigo Montoya saying, you keep using that word. I don't think you understand what it means. Yeah, it, um, it's, uh, it's something that is, I guess it, it makes Will feel like there's, an, like there's another reason to trust Hannibal. Yeah, there's a connection. Uh, like oh Hannibal really cares so of course he'll be and he's my therapist and he cares so obviously he'll be very truthful and you know I won't be how that ends um, so, <laughs> truthful to a fault <laughs> oh yeah of course um, so we have that and so I tell you what let, let's talk about um, I want to get talk more about Will because it's important but Let's just kind of get the, the totem pole stuff out of the way because it's it's the less important aspect of the episode um, and I want to kind of dedicate most of it towards what's really important. Um, yes. So the totem pole killer is this old guy. Um, Very old. He's been doing this for, for decades. And um, so and they take the bodies back. They, they discover who the recent kill is and they tr they kind of 
figure out that, okay, this is the old guy, this guy did it. Um, so it's not a hard thing. Like, obviously, he says, he, as he says when they first show up, I wanted you to find me. Um, this is my resume. This is the my legacy. Um, but there's, there's, there's a tragic part to his legacy, isn't there? Yeah, and it took me like a minute to figure out what the hell they were talking about, but I guess essentially what they're saying is that he had an affair with one of the victims, a woman. Um, she had a son that he thought was another man's, and she left to be with the other man, but it was actually his son that she chose to raise with the other guy. Yeah. And if I have that right. That No, that's correct. And that ended up being the last victim that was atop the totem pole. So, you know, he thought he was preserving his legacy when, in fact, he was actually destroying it. Yeah, he was destroying the last bloodline. And that is, you can see on his face, it's the, well, obviously he wasn't expecting that answer. Um, but you can see it's the one thing that he's going to regret for the rest of his life while in prison. Yeah, and it's something he did not think of and you know, didn't come into his mind whatsoever. No, he never entertained the possibility that that boy was his. Yeah. So, yeah, a tragic end to a crafty killer who's been around for decades. Uh, so that's unfortunate for him, but, you know, that's... that's all, I'll tell you what, it's unfortunate for the victim because that guy didn't deserve it. You know? No, he didn't deserve it at all. Well, I guess none of them deserved it. It's just like, <laughs> you know, but, you know, but that guy, you know, okay, you just killed your son, um, but the guy didn't deserve to die regardless. It's just sad that his father killed him. <laughs> yeah, didn't even know. No. So, um, so talking about, like, legacies and bloodlines and everything, uh, it kind of ties in a little bit to, to Abigail in this episode. Yeah. And Will and Hannibal's relationship with her. So, Abigail is uh, entertaining the idea of a book deal with Freddie Lowndes. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, stupid idea. Like, anything with Freddie is a stupid idea. So, so, why don't you, you know, take over and tell everybody, you know, how's this go down? Because, obviously, Abigail's a little bit of money trouble. Yeah, um, hi, Cat. You can't just sit, can you? All right, you might hear some purring. Sorry, Venables. <laughs> but um, Freddie Lowndes is playing to the, you know, teenager kind of side of Abigail that, you know, Abigail wants the truth together. She wants to be heard, and she doesn't want to be judged anymore, and she also needs money to live, and so she's using, you know, those weaknesses of Abigail to, you know, convince her to let her write a book about, you know, her father and you know not just her father but will and hannibal and their involvement and nicholas boyle and etc yeah um she sold the house the victims are getting all the money because they, they filed a suit uh, so they, they basically recoup all damn or all money from that uh for for what's happened uh she, abigail doesn't seem like she, she says she doesn't even want the money they're, they're free to have it um but that doesn't um, that that doesn't mean that she doesn't need money because obviously she does, you know she's been in the hospital. I don't I don't I mean I don't 
I think she's underage, under 18, so I, I assume that her bill's recovered probably in some way. Um, so that's probably not much of an issue. But what is an issue is that she is 17 or 18 or going on 18 years old, and she has no money. She, her, yeah. her parents are dead, and so this leads her to entertain the possibility of uh, you know, telling her story. So, and of course, all the people, all the people in the world that probably want to tell this story, she decides Freddie Lowndes is the woman for her. Yeah. Like, oh, Abigail, I know her hair is pretty, but everything nice about her stops there. <laughs> yeah. The, the hair is fantastic. Um, she probably <laughs> deserves an award of some kind. But Great for that bouncy of hair. <laughs> that, that, that soul is black as midnight. I mean, it's just stay away. So. Yeah, there is no soul in there. She's a ginger. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, Venables. <laughs> They're like, hey, you better take that back. Um, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, and uh, that, that creates complications because if she tells her story, she you know, is going to talk about Will and Hannibal. And they're not too happy about that, are they? They're like, I don't like that idea. There's enough people prying into our lives. We don't need you know, a book open to the world about us. Yeah. Not that Freddie would care. That's like, it's like cherry on top for her. Yeah, she's just happy. So happy about all this. Ah. Um, you know, trying to get the story out of Abigail, of course Freddie's, you know, like, oh, I'm on that. She has no conscience. Um, it's just trying to pull those two into it. It's just more... More obvious manipulating on Freddy's part. The difference between her manipulation or attempted manipulation and Hannibal is that Freddy is very transparent, whereas Hannibal is the complete opposite. Yeah, he his soul may be black too, but he is an introverted about it. Where Freddy is totally ext- uh, extrovert. Uh, yes. Yep. Extroverted. Yeah. Maybe. Is that correct? Yes, right. you are correct. Correct me, Fatables. Yes, you are correct. Extroverted. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so this creates complications, of course. Um, and they also, they also end up finding a body, which really puts a spotlight on, on Abigail. Yeah, they find Nicholas Poe's body. He just turns up in the woods for some reason. But we learn. I when I heard about this, I thought for sure, you know, Hannibal had the same, you know, reservations that Jack did. That he kind of thought that um, she might have done it, and he was curious to see how she would react and if she actually did help her father. But we learn it's actually Abigail who decided to get that body. Up and out of the grave and into the spotlight. Yeah, and that was kind of weird. And I also thought found that to be a little crazy because <laughs> traveling from Baltimore to Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, time lapse. Like, if she sneaks out at night from the hospital, that's got to be around midnight. To get to Minnesota, you got to have to be on a plane to get there that fast. I I would assume. Because even if she had left, even say she got out the moment it turned dark, and it's winter, so let's say she left at 5 o'clock. I mean, even if she left, even if she could find a car 
I mean, even using a car, it would take her. God, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess I should look at Google Maps, but it's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point where I would, it would be, I would be hard pressed to believe that she could be back by say seven a.m. the next day. I mean, yeah. it's like yeah. another. You know, we have to disbelieve the TV magic. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, yes, so Ghostbusters. Yeah, I have the Ghostbusters theme. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my alarm. <laughs> so, yes, uh, for all you, you fans out there, um, she's obviously excited about the Ghostbusters reboot uh, movie. Oh, not out. so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love yeah. those actresses, yeah. but... Mm. We'll the Tim Burton S ghosts. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about it. I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah, I'm on the fence. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll wait till it comes out. We'll see how it is. Um. Anyways. <laughs> yes, the the disbelief in terms of uh, the time frame because it's not just about driving there. You know, she's gonna drive there. She's gonna drive out to where the body's at. She's gonna dig the body up and place it wherever she placed it and then she has to then drive back so even just even just parking the car digging up the body by the way the body's probably in cold frozen ground so that's going to take you know a couple of hours probably yeah who gave you the Um, (laughs) pickaxe you know anyway that being said like you said uh all that together it's obvious you know probably not going to be possible unless she caught a flight and they would know if she caught a flight i would assume you know, somebody would yeah. be like, okay. Somebody would have flagged it. Yeah. So anyway, that being said, it's not, uh, although it's not believable, it's still an interesting development um, that she did it. That she's the one that dug the body up, and it doesn't put Hannibal in a very good mood, does it? No, because Hannibal is all about, you know, manners and trust with her, and you know, a certain level of respect, and she, this is just rude and discourteous, all things Hannibal would normally kill somebody for. Yeah, um, it was a, it was kind of a chilling scene in the hospital with her because... Uh, there, His face, man. There was a, a lot of subtext um, in that scene. Like, everything he was saying, there was just a hint of danger behind every single statement that he made. Yeah, you know. there were a couple times this episode where I felt if somebody didn't say the right thing in a situation, they weren't going to be leaving a room, and that was one of them. Yeah, it was, and it's she had to do some serious justification on her part to, and appeasement to get him to kind of, I would almost say, just kind of back down. I mean, I don't know if he goes so far as to kill her in the hospital, but, you know, he's... Totally about keeping people out of his business and keeping his life um, out of danger and out of prison. Yeah. And obviously, if he were to feel like Abigail was going to be... A threat to that, you know, yeah. level of comfort. He, she, you know, he's going to take care of it. Yeah. So... I think- yeah, I think she's definitely on his, you know, <laughs> probation list right now. That's that's a good. I like that. That that really says <laughs> everything you need to know. Um, so Jack, um, he he thinks that she she's responsible for Nicholas Boyle's death, um, or believes there's a possibility 
Um, and also thinks that she is kind of uh, associated with the other girl's deaths. Yeah, um, she was the bait, essentially. And he's correct. Oh, yes. Um, I really hated the identifying the body scene, because his body has, like, um, holes in it, and holes in flesh just freaks me right out. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just grotesque. Um, that scene was, it was creepy. Uh, he really grilled her there. And, and Alana. And, and Alana. It, I wrote this down because I thought this was important. I said that um, that Jack could be really hard when he wants to be. You know, he usually comes off as firm, but, you know, not a... He uses his power when he needs to. He's not the kind of guy that just comes in and barks at everybody all the time. <laughs> but he gets really... He can get fierce when he needs to, when he feels the situation demands it. Yeah, when he feels it's a make-or-break moment, he's going to be stone. Exactly. And he really tells, he basically tells Alana, Alana how it is, you know, that, that she's there out of courtesy. Um, and she can leave, you know? Yeah, she's there to observe and to keep her mouth shut. So, it, you know, and I understand what he's saying. He really, he has a sixth sense in this moment. Uh, he really believes this is the case. Um... And he's correct. And I like this because it's one of the few times that I can remember, especially this early on, where Jack actually is the one that's correct and everybody else is <laughs> is, is incorrect. They don't see it. They uh they don't they don't get it, you know. Yeah, for for the first time Jack's on like the level of like Hannibal is and you know well, Hannibal knows, but Jack is the closest because he suspects it. Yeah, and then thankfully i'm really well i'm really glad that they did this because i like seeing how good jack is you know we see will he's so perceptive and and hannibal of course is so perceptive and sometimes we don't get to see that from jack not because i don't think he can see it but because you know he doesn't usually need to he's too busy running the ship and kind of making sure everybody else is doing their job. But in this instance, we see, okay, you know what? Jack knows what he's talking about. He's a pretty talented guy in his own right. Uh, pretty good profiler, I'm sure. Uh, he's got degrees and he went to school for this stuff. And so we see that, you know, he knows something's going on and he has a sixth sense about it. Yeah. In the beginning of the season, like we, People who watch this automatically know that who Jack is, his position, and he's a bit of a hard ass. And but the first thing we get to see is the vulnerability he has with Bella and her being sick, and we get to see his you know weaker side, especially with um, Miriam Lass, and that just kind of breaks him down a bit. It was really good to get to see that he is absolutely has that hard hard side that will break somebody. Yeah, well, he needs it. You have to have that in order to do this job, and certainly you have to have that if you're going to run this entire department. Yeah. Um, you've got to be somebody who can be many things to many people. Some people need to be coaxed. Other people need to be hit, like brought like the hammer down on them. Uh, there's different people with different needs, and he has to fulfill all those roles. And because of that, we don't get to see his talents sometimes 
but it is nice when there are the occasional moments he shows himself to be really good at what he does. Yeah. It was really great to see. Um, so in this scene, we have Alana, and she's... Well, you know, they, they get done, and she's walking Abigail back. She tells Abigail, you know, go on ahead. I'll be, be a minute. She goes back, and she really... You know, this is something I really like about Alana. You know, she's not... Um, she's not somebody who gets yelled at and then just shies away and says, I'm sorry. You know, she's not meek in any way. She's a pretty strong woman. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of people would have just bowed their head and said, I'm sorry, sir, and uh, just hoped it was all over. Whereas she goes back and essentially stands toe-to-toe with Jack and says, you know, he's like, well, you, you know, you believe her? And I wrote this down because I thought this is an important thing. Alana's reasoning about believing Abigail, now she says point blank that she knows that, that Abigail is hiding something that there are things about her she's not telling the truth about but her her reasoning in believing Abigail in this instance regarding Nicholas Boyle is because to her Hannibal is the backbone of why she believes Abigail right yeah he's the essential safety net of her you know belief because Hannibal, why he would never lie. He, you know, why would he? Why would he do this? Why would he cover anything up? He wouldn't. So if he wouldn't do that, then Abigail is telling the truth, and that's yeah, her, that's Hannibal. Her, yeah. yeah, if Hannibal wasn't a factor in it, she might be on the same side of Jack. But because her reservations don't extend to her friend Hannibal, who's such a nice guy, would never do something like this. That you know, she believes that. Abigail has nothing to do with Nicholas Boyle's death. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, his her death and and everything that's followed. Yeah. And this, of course, sets things up for you know if she ends up finding anything out down the line regarding Hannibal, that it's kind of you know it could be a foreshadowing thing, you know, you know between the two of them, you know. Yes. So, Very much so. So, um. Do you want to talk about the scene where Will is with Hannibal in his office? Um, where he figures out that it was Abigail. Sure, yeah. Who killed Nicholas Boyle. I really liked that scene. Um, that Will, you know, kind of is still in his pendulum-esque, you know, squeegee windshield world. <laughs> and reimagines uh, Abigail killing Nicholas Boyle. And that he it fits in his imagination and goes to confront Hannibal because, you know, the factor between it all, if it's true or not, is Hannibal because he was there and Hannibal does not lie. He flat out tells him like, yeah, I hit the body. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and uh, I love the line. We her fathers now, Will. We have to serve her better than Garrett Jacob Hobbs. And I think that's kind of what wins Will over into keeping that secret. Well, yeah, now, two, two things. Uh, Hannah, well, J- Jack, um, <laughs> just go through the list. Yes. Okay, so so whereas uh, Alana believes Abigail is is telling the truth because her reservations don't extend to Hannibal, it's the exact opposite to Will, in a way. Whereas he imagines the scene and understands that if this is true, then Hannibal therefore is involved and also knows and is also guilty, in being a factor in the crime 
Yes. And he's much more willing to believe that than Alana because to him it has to it has to be that way. There's no other way. Either Hannibal either Hannibal was involved, okay, and Abigail did do it, or it's the opposite. And in this case he knows in his in his mind that Alana did it, so therefore Hannibal knows and therefore Hannibal is also guilty in some respect. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely what his thought process would be, just eliminating all variables. It's um it's such a uh, an important scene because it shows just how much that Hannibal wants a family. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it it's a sad thing given who he is and what he what he does generally. Uh does some pretty awful things. Shouldn't have a family. <laughs> right, but but he he wants a family. You know, he wants a daughter and he wants a friend in Will. Uh, as he says, two fathers, two people that take care of, of Abigail. Yeah. Um, I love this, the line as well, the, um, do I need to call my lawyer, Will? I think in that moment is another moment where I think if Will's answer had been different, things would have changed. He wouldn't have left that office. No, of course not. The thing is, is no matter how much Hannibal wants something, his 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 self-preservation, his will, and his need, and his drive for self-preservation in order basically to keep himself alive is so strong that nothing is ever more important than that. And that, yeah, and that, it's number yeah. one. Hey, don't chew on the wires. <laughs> Go sit over there. So it and that doesn't apply even to somebody who he holds in high esteem like Will. <laughs> She's burying her face into the wires and going to town. You're lucky they're coded. Like, bad, bad kitty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> now I lost my train of thought. No, no, no. It, it's it's um, yeah. It's between those two. Like nothing is ever more important than that. And so kill, kill Will. And he'll he'll hate it. He'll probably mourn it, uh, for a while. But but he he always knows that it's the best decision if it means he's not in prison or dead. Yeah. So. Yeah, his self preservation is number one. Yes. Um. So, let's talk a little bit um about that scene between Hannibal and Abigail. So, the two of them, whether she's in, he's like doing dishes, and I think she's... Oh, the very end. Yeah, the very end. Um, And that's when she reveals that she helped lure the girls that her father killed. Yeah, she drops the bomb. (laughs) And this was a huge moment for her character. And I loved the scene, because I thought it was a very touching scene between her and Hannibal. Um, yeah. So she's, you know, he's, they're talking and it kind of reaches a point in the conversation where she's finally come to the decision <laughs> that she just has to tell him everything. Yeah. I think also she probably, probably has a little bit of guilt for, you know, digging up Nicholas Boyle's body that, you know, to gain his trust back, she'll tell him her darkest secret. Well, it's important. She has to. And I think it's also she has to get it off her chest fully to somebody. And this is the person who knows 
more of her secrets already than anybody else. So, to me... Oh, God, you freaking heard that. Ugh, I pushed the button. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, guys. I was trying to move my mic, and I thought I hit the mute button, but apparently not. Oh. <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, it's okay. Um, no, so, oh. so this is... Um, it's important because she's extending this trust to Hannibal in revealing this secret, and he knows more about her than anybody else already. So... Yeah. Um, they're already accomplices in a, in a in a murder, so what's revealing one more secret? But she needs to as well yeah. because this is a heavy thing. On it's been it's been on her for a long time, and it's only it's only gotten worse as time has gone by. And uh, so he tells him that you know I I knew what he was. I knew. You know, that he was killing them instead of killing me. That it was a them or me thing, you know, uh, mentality. It was either me or them. And uh, so she did what she had to do to survive. And she calls herself a monster. I'm a monster. And, and Hannibal takes her in his arms. And she's sobbing and she's you know crying. And she says, I'm a monster. And I thought this was really touching. And he said, you know, no, you're not a monster. I, I've seen monsters and uh, you're not one of them. You're a victim. You're a victim. And it it's such a uh, it's such a wonderful scene because it's one of those few moments where you honestly it I don't I didn't see any manipulation by Hannibal. I didn't see any you know to me this was just one of those father-daughter moments that actually existed. You know, it wasn't like how can I twist this into my advantage? To me, this is more like she revealed the worst thing about her life and he was there to tell her and reassure her and be what she needed to be. Or, or be for her what she needed. Yeah, like he was just being a comfort and a fatherly figure that was nothing like her actual father. She was truly just, he was truly just being there for her. Yeah. Um... It, it's such a thing. It was, it was all done out of fear and and just being scared. And that, of course, leads us into the black and white uh, flashback. It's, I believe, it's one of the... Is this the first one that we've... No, 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 because the Miriam last stuff. That's right, Miriam yeah. last. But, um, but they're rare. Anyway, they don't happen much on this show. And so we see the black and white flashback where they're on a train... And Abigail's sitting with her father, and he sees this girl that gets on the train, and of course we know her as victim, um, and and kind of I think gives her the signal. She gets up and she starts talking to the girl, and this she keeps you know she glances at her father. He's looking into her face, and it's just it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, to you know that like you look at your dad and like yeah that's the one you know that that's the girl you have you're sending to for death just by sitting with her yeah the moment you sit down and no the moment you say hi her fate is sealed yeah that's so has to be so traumatizing like you are the essential you know grim reaper you're taking someone to their death yeah and i'll tell you what i we didn't talk about this but this this leads very well into into this. Um, I loved, loved, loved this scene early in the episode where Abigail is 
in a dream and all of her victims are sitting around her like they're in a group therapy. Because in, yeah. initially, when you're watching the episode for the first time, you don't notice that, right? She's like she's just talking to other people, other uh, people that are in the hospital as well. And it's only um, when you're so far into the scene when you realize that you know, these are victims of her father. And it's such a it's a heartbreaking thing. And it alludes to the level of guilt that her she's under. You know, she's under so much guilt. You know, it probably eats away at her every single day. You know? Yeah. Especially when, like, you see Nichols boil and he turns it around like, you know, and you killed me. Your father killed them, but you killed me. And, like, she, she had to eliminate some of that guilt to just be able to get through her days, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, look, her. she was staving off her father's desire to kill her. So... You know, imagine living with that every day. Like, my dad wants to kill me, but um, helping him to kill other people just so I don't die. And I thought just being made to do my homework was rough, man. <laughs> Seriously, like, can I just be a kid? Can I be a teenager? I uh, should be going to dances and boyfriends and all that stuff. Instead, I gotta help my dad kill girls. Great. Um, Quite the hobby. Right. Um... Like, one of my favorite scenes of this episode, though, was the um, dinner with Abigail, Freddie, and oh. um, Will, and Hannibal. <laughs> There's so many things said. There's so many meanings hidden underneath. Yes, it was the dinner that launched, like, a hundred different, like, Tumblr pics and memes and just, you know, people pointing stuff out. Like, for one, one of the most famous ones is the look Abigail has when she takes... The camera focuses on the meat she's cutting and puts it into her mouth and the face she has when she tastes it. It's probably a familiar taste to her. I I bet you it is. <laughs> um, and I, I wrote down, of course, Freddy is a vegetarian. Um, it just, like, bitch, please, sell to people, too. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, I just I wrote that down because I thought, of course, Freddy is a vegetarian. Um, I bet the vegetables and whatnot were grown in a garden where the composting was probably, you know, broken down meat. Oh, she's eating something. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Even if it's just vegetables, man, you're getting the nutrients are coming from some human flesh. Um, (laughs) So, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Will and Alana in this episode. Because, Uh, um, so, last week we had the big moment where they're at the cabin and uh, they share a kiss and she kind of retreats, and we get a little bit of a follow-up. Now, this scene is kind of... Okay, so the way the scene's set up, Will is giving a lecture to a bunch of students. He's talking about, you know, the the totem pole murders, and more specifically, the the last... I can't remember the victim's name, I'm sorry. Uh, the last guy that was... The last victim, the one that the, the serial killer that killed his own son. I can't think of his name right now. Um... <laughs> But, but anyway... Wasn't memorable. Um, no. Uh, but anyway, she walks in and knocks on the door, and he kind of looks up, and we realize, oh, yeah, he's he's talking to nobody. And she, <laughs> Just talking yeah, to himself. And she thinks that he's rehearsing. It's a nice save, by the way. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, she supplies it, but Will's like, oh, um... Yeah, 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 sure, yeah. Uh, and so she comes in, and they have this little conversation where 
he says, you know, I won't try to kiss you again unless, you know, unless you want me to kiss you again. Um, you know, basically, where's your stance on all this? Then, and she kind of tells him that you're crazy, so I can't, you know, date you. <laughs> I have my feet firmly planted on either side of regret and non-regret from that night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's only one kiss, so I mean, gee, you know, it's not that you slept together, and boy, I have some real regret, and I have some, you know, I don't really regret it at all. Uh, it's just a kiss, but. Um, you know, I understand her, her quandary. I understand the struggle that she's, she's in because Will is a patient. He's also fascinating, uh, to her. Um, but as she said, you know, she was being brutally honest. She says, I, I think you're unstable. And until yeah, that, that definitely hurts a bit. Yeah. Until that normalizes, I, I, we can't, we can't do anything. Yeah. And that's gotta be just gotta be the knife in the heart for Will, because, like, he gets told that, yeah, we could be together, but you're kind of crazy, we can't do anything right now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I feel bad. And, and this is a real standout performance, or standout episode for a bunch of people. I thought that, um, I thought that, I thought that Casey... And another cat cues him. Yes, yeah, it is here. I thought uh, Casey Will did a good job. She did. Think, she was phenomenal. More heavy lifting in this episode than she's had to do so far uh, in the series. Um, I thought that Caroline uh, did a really good job. She had some nice scenes with, with Jack and and all that. Uh, and then of course Udancy did a really great job in this scene or in this episode because you know he's got to show somebody that's kind of becoming more unstable he's losing time uh you know he's obviously dealing with a lot uh of pressure so it's just a little yeah under pressure <laughs> no okay <laughs> yes a lot of, well um, yes well you mean the queen david bowie under pressure yeah <laughs> i threw it in but yeah, especially in the scene where he's in Hannibal's office and Hannibal's trying to convince him that it's mental, not physical. And his just kind of small little breakdown is so well acted. Just the tone in his voice when he's like, it's not abuse. Yeah. He did a great job. Yeah, he really did. Um, it's good stuff. Good stuff on his part. Um, no, it was great. It was a really good episode. And, and as we said early earlier... In this rewatch, it's a lot better than we thought it was when we first watched it. As you said, yeah. we thought this was probably one of the the weaker episodes of season one, but it, it actually is probably I wouldn't say <clears throat> I guess I wouldn't say it's like in the top three, but it's certainly not in the bottom three. Put it that way. No, it's firmly it's... in the middle to upper middle pack. Yeah, I agree there. Like it's not one of the best, but certainly not bad at all. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah, when we say, <clears throat> well, you're in the middle of the pack, it's it's like saying, well, you're only a 9 out of 10. You yeah, know? exactly. So, you know, so, <clears throat> but it's really, you know, it's really, really good. I liked it a lot. I thought the writing was good. Uh, like like we said earlier, I could have, I could have, I could have, Take or leave the the whole um, totem pole death thing and the killer, that wasn't entirely needed. But 
I understand that at this point in the series, they still are trying to cling to the whole procedural aspect to kind of get more people involved, you know, to the show because, you know, it's different subject matter. So if people, people watch procedurals all the time. Law and Order is very popular. There's, you know, three, four of those. So people were very familiar, especially in the U.S., with procedurals. So that's kind of what they were trying to use to get people to get involved in the show. Yep, anything where they poke bodies and try to solve crimes, we're interested. <laughs> exactly. That's America. <laughs> That's so true. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's do the do the rating. So let's do a rating. So what is your rating and your final words on this episode? Well, I think it was a great episode beyond what I expected it to be again. And um, I really, really loved Casey Roll's performance. She's definitely just stepped out from behind a veil and come out into the world like she was just amazing i wrote down so much about her like acting like man i love this little inflection or the tears she has while she's doing this and it was all phenomenal i think she was definitely the standout mvp of this episode um i love that we're slowly seeing will deteriorate and he just plays it off so well and now that him and Hannibal have like an even closer relationship where, you know, they're not just friends, they're fathers to a daughter and getting to see that progress. I mean, it was it was a great episode. I give it 8.5 out of 10. Okay. Um, <clears throat> before I give my, my rating and uh, final words, I just want to mention my favorite line of this episode. Um, where are the corners? Uh, that was because of our intrepid uh, geek duo <clears throat> that was uh, sitting on the beach. Our, mm-hmm. uh, they were talking about uh, being a, j- a jigsaw puzzle. Yes. And they said, what are the corners? Uh, I just, I remember the this. Heads? Yeah, I said they, they said that and I just, I, I couldn't help. I, I had to laugh. I thought it was great. Um, so no, I, I think this episode was great. Uh, a lot, well, really, really good. And um, Casey Roll is definitely the MVP in this episode. And for people that might want to think, uh, oh, where can I else can I see her? One thing, if you really want to see, uh, where she, I think she really got her first big start was on The Killing. Have you watched The Killing? No, I've been told I need to, though. <laughs> okay, she is in, I believe, the first season and maybe a little, or very early on in the second season. Uh, I remember, because I remember watching Hannibal. And when I first saw her, I'm like, where have I seen her before? And it bugged me to death. And eventually I've, you know, looked online and realized she was in the killing. Because then I recognized who, you know, her character immediately once I, I connected the dots. Uh, so she does excellent work there. Also, if you want to know what she's doing now, go watch The Magicians. It is fantastic. I've read the book series. Book series is amazing. The... Oh, it was book series first? Oh, yeah. Yeah, book series first, and uh, it is now a TV show. It's on Sci-Fi Network in America. Um, it is really, really good, and she's so good in it. It's fantastic. So just a little shout-out to uh, Casey Rule there. Um, but no, this episode was fantastic. She was the MVP, uh, no doubt. Uh, she's such a really – she's a really good actress. She gives a lot of subtle performances. Um she doesn't scream in her acting. You know, it's the same level as uh, Pew Dancy and uh, every, pretty much everybody else on this show. Uh, 
the really good actors and actresses that are out there, they don't scream in their acting. They, uh, their stuff is very subtly done. And like you said, little inflections, little movements, eye movement, things like that. I mean, it all comes together to create whatever mood you're trying to, you know, show in the scene. Um, and she's fantastic at it. And I just loved everything in this episode regarding her. A lot of great plot developments with Hannibal and, uh, and Will. Uh, Jack had some nice stuff this episode. Caroline. Everybody really got their moment. Everybody had at least one scene in this episode that, that really said something about their character. So oh, even Freddy. Even Freddy. Um, so for this, I give it a solid 9 out of 10. <laughs> because uh, I, th- I think it ended up being one of the better episodes of the season. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and uh, I love that all the actors, like, before Hannibal, I'd, I'd seen them, like, in King Arthur. We saw, like, Will and Hannibal, or I guess Hugh and Mads. And, like, Abigail I'd seen in an episode of Supernatural, which was filmed, like, an hour away from me. So, like, she was that close. I might have ran into her at some point in my life, and... Yeah, like they're I knew them from such little things and like like Hugh Dancy and Ella Enchanted. I never expected him to be able to pull off something like this. I feel like they've so come into their element with this T V show and we get to see their acting completely just elevated and shining. Oh, it's easy well, it is easier, I think, to elevate your acting when you have such unbelievably great material. You know, oh, when yes. the writing and the freedom yes, to do the it, freedom when the writing is so good, and you, and you you tell, you know, I think if you're an actor and I'm like, hey, I'm not an actor, I've never acted, but I would imagine if you're an actor, you're sitting down to read scripts and you're like, man, this is so good, you know, if you're a seasoned actor, you know what's good and what's not good. You can read the scripts and say, all right, this is just, I love the the subtlety, I love the themes, I love what they're doing here. This is. Yeah, this is great. And when you're given that that A plus material to work with, you know, it really makes you push yourself as an actor, you know. Yeah, I mean when you have like huge actors like Jillian Anderson and um Eddie Izzard, Zachary Quinto, all these little actors that just you know, Zachary Quinto for one didn't have a big part at all down the road, but he still wanted to be part of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think as the series progressed, more and more actors wanted to be on the show in some capacity because they they knew at that point how good Hannibal is. They wasn't getting the ratings, but the critics adored it. Uh, the fans that, that watched the show were just hardcore as could be, <laughs> yeah. um, as we well know. You know A so, fandom to be feared. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah. So, hey, look, when the quality is that good, it, it pushes you as an actor. You're not, you're acting, you know, great performances aren't propping up your show, right? The, the great writing and the directing and the cinematography, the art direction and the acting all come together to create this great, great masterpiece of a show. That's, yeah, that's what, truly. that's when you know you have a good show when it's all working synergistically together at the same time to create a work of art. Yeah, I completely agree. So, perfect. So, all right. Uh, it looks like we're done for this episode. Um, we've only got a, a few episodes to go. Uh, we have uh, five, actually. Well, 
No. Four, is Four. It? Actually, yeah, after this episode, we have four. We have one more this week that we're doing, and then uh, I think we're wrapping up all of the rest next week. We're going to record them all, and so I'll be distributing them out as usual. And uh, just, it'll be done soon. Um, as we get closer to the end, next week we're going to uh, make some more announcements, and, um, and we'll let you know what the future is of our podcast. It, it won't be done. In that, you know, but we'll kind of talk a little bit more of that later. So, yeah. Yeah. And look forward to the next episode, which is Buffet Frau. And that is my favorite episode of the season. I can't wait. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, all right, everyone. Uh, be ready. <laughs> be willing. Be hungry. <laughs> be hungry for more Hannibal. So, I'm always hungry. Sarah's always hungry, and we hope you will stay hungry for more, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, Fannibals. Don't forget, if you have any questions or feedback, email us at hungryforhannibal at gmail.com. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Have have a good night. (laughs) Night.